from Paul in jail for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ, and from Brother Timothy. To Philemon, our much-loved fellow worker, and to the church that meets in your home, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, who, like myself, is a soldier of the cross. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you his blessings and his peace. I always thank God when I'm praying for you, dear Philemon, because I keep hearing of your love and trust in the Lord Jesus and in his people. And I pray that as you share your faith with others, it will grip their lives too as they see the wealth of good things in you that come from Christ Jesus. I myself have gained much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because your kindness has so often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now I want to ask a favor of you. I could demand it of you in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do, but I love you and prefer just to ask you. I, Paul, an old man now, here in jail for the sake of Jesus Christ. My plea is that you show kindness to my child Onesimus, whom I won to the Lord while here in my chains. Onesimus, whose name means useful, hasn't been much of much use to you in the past, but now he's going to be of real use to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I really wanted to keep him here with me for a while. I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and you would have been helping me through him, but I didn't want to do it without your consent. I didn't want you to be kind because you had to, but because you wanted to. And perhaps you could think of it this way, that he ran away from you for a little while so that now he can be yours forever. No longer only a slave, but something much better. A beloved brother, especially to me. And now he will mean much more to you, too. Because he's not only a servant, but also your brother in Christ. And if I am really your friend, give him the same welcome you would give to me if I were the one who was coming. Now, if he's harmed you in any way or stolen anything from you, charge me for it. I will pay it back. I, Paul, personally guarantee this by writing it here with my own hand. But I won't mention how much you owe me. Well, the fact is, you even owe me your very soul. Yes, dear brother, give me joy with this loving act, and my weary heart will praise the Lord. I've written you this letter because I'm positive that you will do what I ask and even more. Please keep a guest room ready for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me come to see you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, who is also here for preaching Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon your spirit. Signed, Paul. Good morning. I feel so far away from you. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's already been a very interesting morning, and, and nothing's really quite going the way I expected it to, but that's what life is all about, isn't it? Um, 
So this morning, we um, are kind of in a, in a pause, if you will. We've covered the first two books of Colossians. We're getting ready to start chapter 3 when Pastor returns. And, um, you know, this is kind of the world of sound bites. So let me just, if I were to create a sound bite for Colossians chapter 1, it would be, Jesus made it all. And if I created a sound bite for chapter 2, it would be, Jesus paid it all. And we've heard about that this morning. And Paul references that in the letter that we just heard. Um, And the letter that we just heard was written to the church in Colossians, in Colossae, where Paul has what what we've been reading on. So it felt like a good time to kind of look at that letter and say, here's, they were listening to what we've been preaching on. We've been listening to what Paul's been saying. But they also had this letter as a part of that same conversation. And so it has to be connected somehow. So how is it connected? So let's look at it today. So um, it would, if it were a blog post, it, it would qualify as a blog post. Because it's only 335 Greek words. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the size. And it's 25 verses. So... Um, But this personal letter, at first glance, may seem an odd combination with Colossians. Um, But if we look at it a little closer, you'll see that there's some themes in Colossians that that are spoken about in this letter. In the call to action that Paul gives Philemon, put these things into practice, and this is what it looks like. But it also has application for us today. Um, There are two themes that I'm going to touch on. Um, The Greek words for those themes are koinonia and charizomai. You'll recognize them better as fellowship and forgiveness. (laughs) But for those who really like to drive into the root word, we'll talk a little bit about where they are and, and where you can find them. But before we do that, because it's been one of those mornings, um, Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the the God that you are, for your character, for your nature, for your love for us, um, but also for your holiness that demands um, perfection. And for your great sacrifice through Christ that paid that price for us, so that we could enter into a relationship. We could be restored to fellowship with you. What an honor and a privilege to be called the sons and daughters of God. But that is what we are, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who you are and what you have done. It's just a beautiful thing. As we look at your word today, Lord, show us how... Where we are in our relationships, where our opportunities are to forgive, where our opportunities are to reconcile, and if possible, where those opportunities are to restore relationship, because that's what you're all about. You came to transform the world. You came to transform broken people um, so that we could have fellowship, and I thank you for that. Amen. So, when I was really looking at all these, and there's really cool things, like the Greek thing is really cool, and like there's stuff in Deuteronomy that's reflected here in, in, in the New Testament, and that's really cool. And I'm like, there are all these pieces, 
but it wasn't really clicking for me until I said, you know, I took one more step back and said, this really is, I mean, those things are important because that's the foundation, but really, this is a story about people. And, and I hate to use the word story because it kind of carries with it the connotation that it's not real. And so instead, it's a testament, a testimony to the transformed lives in Philemon, in Onesimus, in Paul. And so when I really started looking at it like that, it became much easier, <laughs> right, to, to pull it together. So when we think about Paul, you kind of have to back up a little bit and say, okay, where is he at and all the things he's been doing. Paul uh, had this huge conversion story. He was um, recognized as having opportunities by Barnabas. He's spent some time kind of reinvestigating the scriptures. Now Barnabas has brought them together. Um, the Holy Spirit has recognized his ministry. They've been commissioned. They've gone out on three journeys. And this is the third journey that Paul is on. And he ends up in Ephesus. And he spends quite a bit of time there. And uh, he spent, yes, typically he starts out in the synagogue. He spent about three months in the synagogue. And then he goes off to the Hall of uh, Tyrannus, and he's lecturing there. And it's believed that this, during this time, this is when Epaphras, and possibly Epaphras and his friend Philemon, came to the city of Ephesus and heard Paul speak and had that opportunity to engage with Paul and ask questions about the, the message that Paul was presenting and to... Um, I am really technologically challenged. I'm so sorry. Um, but to really kind of dig in and say, what are you talking about, Paul? What is this message? Who is this Jesus that you're talking about? And we believe that this is when um, that, was, that, was, uh, that, that occurred. And so Epaphras carried that message back. And Acts chapter 9, uh, 19, verse 10, talks about during the time that Paul was in Ephesus, that the word about Jesus spread through all of Asia, and that's kind of where Ephesus, Colossae, Laodicea, Thyatira, a lot of the churches you see in Revelation 2 and 3, they're all in this area. Um, And so it was about 112 miles away, maybe uh, five days walk on average, um, real close to Laodicea, so you hear that there's letters referenced to Laodicea in the letter to Colossians. Um, It was destroyed by an earthquake, and, and it's in southwest Turkey, so I don't think it was part of what was impacted by the uh, earthquakes that were going on, because I think it was just a little bit to the, to the, to the southwest of that, because it was a little more closer to Syria, but in any case, um, it's never been excavated, by the way. So, side note, if I had a million, you know, if I ever got, like, millions of dollars that I could just spend for fun, I would love to go get a dig together and excavate Colossae and see what kind of stuff we could find there, because I think it'd be really cool. But... Side note, not, not really relevant. Um, so, so Paul has this opportunity to interact with these gentlemen, and it changes their life, right? Because now Epaphras goes back, and he's planning a church. Philemon opens his home and welcomes the believers into his home, and they become the church that Paul is writing to in Colossians. And so um, he's writing this letter, that Anas must be received as a brother. This is what happens. I get distracted by my own slides, and then I forget what I was going to say. So, <laughs> so let's back up. When Paul is in Ephesus, how, what is it that causes the, the word of God to get spread? It wasn't just that he talked 
in the synagogue. And it wasn't just that he talked in the lecture hall, but it was what happened as a result. In that period of time, all sorts of crazy things were happening. Things that Paul would touch, handkerchiefs and things, would then go and, and be brought to sick people and they would be healed. That was crazy and amazing. Um, all sorts of other things were happening. There was a, a riot in Ephesus because so many people came to know the Lord that they were burning their idols. And the, the silversmiths that were making icons for Artemis were in an uproar because their, their livelihood was being challenged. One of the other things that was happening here is um, there was this episode with the seven sons of Sceva. And so they heard Paul's message, and they saw the uh, ministry that Paul was having, and he, they saw the, the demons that were being driven out, and they said, oh, we can do that. And so they went to do that. And at one point, the demon looked at them and or said to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then he proceeded to beat them until they ran out of the house naked and bruised. That is what struck fear into the hearts of, Ephesians, of the Ephesians and caused such a dramatic change and what caused that gospel to spread and what caused the riot later. And, um, you know, Paul wanted to get involved in that and the people were like, no, you don't have to. And, and that was able to, to get addressed. But lots of really amazing things happening in, in Ephesus and that becomes the, the basis by which Epaphras and Philemon became believers. And that's part of the faith, that, the, the faith story that they're taking back now to Col the people in Colossae. So pretty cool stuff going on there. And we know from the letter that Paul had to know Philemon well enough to speak to his character. So what do we know about Philemon, Right? We know that he went to Ephesus at some point because he came into contact with Paul. We know that he became the host of the Colossian church. We know that he was wealthy because you wouldn't necessarily have a home large enough to open it up and to feed and, and take care of people for all of you know, the types of and the size of the church without being wealthy. And we know that at one point in his life, he owned slaves. The challenge I've had with this is, is everybody wants to talk about that. And, and there's something that it needs to be talked about, and it's not talked about enough. Unfortunately, we're not really going to talk about that today because there's not enough information in the text for me to know whether that's relevant at this point in time. Not because it's not important. We know that Philemon owned slaves at one time, but when did he still? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. So what do I know about slavery? I can tell you a little bit. Um, it's a horrible word and it's an ugly thing and it means so many, it raises so many emotions. At the time of Rome, it was very common. The thing that, about Roman slavery was it wasn't gender specific, it wasn't eth ethnic specific, it wasn't even age specific. Roughly 35 to 40% of all people living in Rome were slaves during this time period. The other thing that separates a little bit from what we are more familiar with about slavery is that the ability to be freed was possible. They have a word for it. It's called manumission. And when a slave was freed, whether that was a gift from their owner or they were able to pay off work enough to pay off their indebtedness, they actually had all rights of Roman citizenship except holding public office. 
very different perspective. Now, it doesn't mean that there weren't some ugly jobs and some mistreatment, but it was not quite the same as what we think of in our own history in America, which is not to say that it was a good thing or that we condone it, because we don't, because God hates the subjugation of people. That's the whole reason he came to free us, to free us from slavery, but also to free Israel from slavery with Pharaoh. And, and over and over again, God's, God's plan is to redeem and restore. So um, just to address that. Um, so we know that at one time he owned slaves. We know that at one time... Um, but we don't know whether he still does that, and we certainly know from the letter that Paul wrote to him that he has a different perspective, some spiritual maturity, because now he is seeking to restore people. He is bringing koinonia to the believers. That joint participation, he's inviting people in. So that's a different type of person, maybe, who might have been the slave owner that Onesimus ran from because maybe that was before Christ. We don't know, and so I can't speak to that. What do we know about Onesimus? We know that he was Philemon's slave. We know that he ran away. We can tell from the letter that Paul wrote that he wronged Philemon in some way, and people, the speculation is he must have stolen money. Well, and that makes sense, because, you know, if he ended up in Rome, which is 1,300 miles away, and, you know, like water, so he'd have to get a boat or travel for a really long time on land, which would increase his chances of being caught, um, it's likely that he did steal some, some money. But we don't know that. So again, I don't know what Onesimus did, but it was something that wronged Philemon, enough that Paul said, charge it to me, charge it to me. I will repay it, whatever it is. Of course, it doesn't necessarily mean it's money, but... It might be, probably. Um, we know that he encountered Paul and that his life was changed. We don't know whether he was a good slave or he was a horrible slave. But we know today, at this moment, that he's a follower of God, that he's a son of God through that relationship, that he... Um, is willing to trust Paul and go back to a place where he could be executed for what he has done. But he's doing that because he wants to make that right. So we're seeing evidence of a real change. And while he spent time with Paul, he has been useful to Paul, whether that's carrying letters or conveying uh, uh, items back and forth, but he has shown himself to be trustworthy. So he's going back to this dangerous situation. And the one thing that I think is really cool in the fact that Paul never says, free him from slavery, he could welcome him back as a slave, but also as a brother. Because the true freedom that Onesimus sought, he already has in Christ. It's the same freedom that we have in Christ. And he has that now. Um, there is also some speculation, which I really think is cool. Um, Ignatius references a bishop of Ephesus named Onesimus. Is this the same Onesimus? I don't know. I wish I could say yes, but there's not enough data to, to say yes or no one way or the other, but it's possible. 
and the timing and the age and, and all of the things that would need to align, align to make it potentially possible that that could be the same person. And if that is, what an amazing story, what an amazing testimony that Onesimus has of where he was at the beginning of, of, of this letter and where he is now. But again, things that are cool, but I don't know for sure. Um, so what's the next slide? I don't even know. So these lives intersect in, this, in Philemon. Yes. So forgiveness is that theme. That's that cor, cor, Oh, see, I'm never going to say it right. Greek is hard. Charismai <laughs> is the Greek. And with that concept of forgiveness, it carries with it the idea of restor, restoration and reconciliation. And so in Colossians 2.13 Paul tells us, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. But one of the hardest things about the Christian faith is the truth of this statement, not only for me, but for the people who've wronged me. But because of this truth in 2.13, we have the truth of 3.13, that we are to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of us has a grievance against someone because we forgive as the Lord forgave us. Man, that's really hard. But it's it's what's true. (laughs) We have been forgiven much. And so it's there. And... I think that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 that we, have, we as Christians have the ministry of reconciliation. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 14. And then again in 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us as believers the message of reconciliation. What's interesting to me is um, in Philemon 22, when Paul says, um, prepare a place for me so that I can come, I can be given to you, the word that he uses there is the same, charizomai, I will be given to you. I will be restored. It's very interesting that he would choose that word. He could have used other words, and there are other words that he could have used, but he used charizomai, that concept of restoration, of reconciliation. At the end of the letter, where he's asking Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus. Be reconciled to me as well. I want to be given to you. I want to be restored to you. I think that's cool. So again, Onesimus is already free in Christ, so the reconciliation here is not one of slave and master, but brother to brother. And he says, he's, he, his name means useful, but he hasn't been useful to you, but now, now he can be in a completely new way because he's your brother. He can help you in the faith in the same way he's helped me. Or, even better, you could send him back to me and you could help me through him. (laughs) Because that's really what Paul wanted. But only if Philemon agreed. Not coerced. And I love that there's no demands here. (laughs) Um, He appeals to him out of love. 
The thing that allows Paul to make that request is because they are coming, Onesimus and Philemon are coming, they're on the same, they're in the same position. They both have a relationship with Christ and therefore they both have the expectation of restoration. They have an even playing field. That's not always possible with people in our lives, right? Um, so I, I just want to say that while restoration is always um, desired, it's not always possible. And the guilt that we carry for not achieving it, we ought to like examine that, whether it's real, because sometimes it's just not possible. Um, but he's encouraging Philemon to extend to Onesimus what he's already been extending to the believers in his house. In verse 6, that's where he uses koinonia, that fellowship. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective to the knowledge of every good thing that is in you for the sake of Christ. Paul in this letter is asking him to extend that same fellowship to Onesimus that he's already been doing. So it's an opportunity, spiritual maturity, right, for him to, to do that. And, and, and commentaries also make such a big deal about the fact that this was read aloud, but all letters were read aloud. So it's not really, I mean, it's significant, but not really significant. But why do you think Paul might have had a personal letter read aloud? In this instance, I think, because people would have known that Philemon was a slave owner. People would have been aware that Onesimus ran away. People would have been surprised if he just walked back into the fellowship and there was no explanation. And so I think it's important, because you know how people are when things like that happen. They kind of pick sides. You know, I'm on team Philemon, I'm team Onesimus. And so for this to occur, it has to be open. People have to hear what Paul is saying. People have to equate it to the, the, the message in Colossians because there can't be any more sides. These two men are going to reconcile, and therefore we have to reconcile our friends as well. Critical point there. Um, there's another thread I want to pull on a little bit. It goes back to the circumcision thing. And I think it's also important, though maybe only to me, and so I apologize if this is boring, but it's not a new idea, for one. While Paul talks about it, and people have said, oh, he's coming up with a new thing, it's, it's, it's in Deuteronomy. <laughs> it's not a new idea. And so we have our verse here, you are the Lord, you, yet the Lord set his affection on you, your ancestors. So he's talking, this is Moses now in the desert talking to Israel, saying the Lord set his affection on your ancestors, Israel, and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, do not be self-stiff-necked any longer. So this was a call to Israel to acknowledge God's affection and God setting them apart and that God was their God and they should follow him. At the end of Moses' life, Deuteronomy 30, where he's giving them the blessings and the curses, they need to choose today whom you will serve kind of thing because he's not going to go into the promised land with them. He's setting this up for Joshua. He says, I love this actually, the slight shift in focus. The Lord your God will, the Lord your God now, this is not something that's dependent on you. The Lord will do this. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. God is going to do this thing. 
So when Paul says in Colossians 2, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That's incredible. So it's significant, not only because it shows consistency again, God's plan has been the same from the beginning of time. I'm going to restore, I'm going to reconcile, I'm going to circumcise your hearts, you're going to follow me, right? Um, Which is still pretty cool. Um, But the other thing I love about this is that it's not gender-specific. When you think about the physical act of circumcision that cuts out half the population, we only have the benefits by association with someone who is then circumcised. But here, as echoed from Deuteronomy, God is doing the circumcision, and it doesn't matter what gender you are or which gender you identify with, because God circumcises your heart. And that's why Paul can say in Colossians 3 that there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And I think it's also, it speaks to what Paul says in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's a lot to unpack, and we haven't really looked at the text. But the text is good. And I encourage you, it's only 25 verses, to, to investigate the text. If you could go... To the, I think there's a, another slide coming, if you could go ahead. So this is a quote from Jim Elliott. Why is it in here? Because it's kind of cool. Because Jim Elliott had, <laughs> had a huge impact on me as a child by his death as he went to reach the unreached and, and, and was killed for it because of misunderstandings. And the beautiful transformation that came, the redemptive transformation out of that tragedy where the widows of these men who were killed went back to minister and share Christ with the same people who murdered their families. It's a huge story, huge impact on me as a child. And I find as I'm aging (laughs) that he has just as much of an impact on my life from his writings, from the journals he kept that have been publicized, that have been been published so that we can read them. And this is one quote that I thought fit where we were at today. Most laws condemn the soul and pronounce sentence. But the result of the law of my God is perfect. It condemns, but forgives. It restores more than abundantly what it takes away. We see that in in the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. We see that in the relationship between Philemon and um, pretty much anyone he's ever talked to. But forgiveness to restoration is a journey, and it's not always easy. And so I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about that. And so I don't have it here, but I have it there. So there's a lot of words up there. Understand that forgiveness is required of all Christians because of what Christ has forgiven in us. It's non-negotiable. 
And it doesn't matter what the other person does or thinks because it's not about them. It's about us. It's about our relationship with God. That's the easy part. And yet even that is hard because I find the most difficult person for me to forgive is myself when I fail. And I do that a lot. But God is faithful. It's done independently because of what God has done for us. The goal is to have reconciliation, but to do that both sides, or all sides in this case, when it's a public thing and people choose sides, it involves more than just the individuals at odds. All sides have to acknowledge that a wrong was done. It can still be done independently. It may have to be done independently, depending on what the wrong is. And it is possible to have reconciliation even if that relationship isn't restored. Because this isn't necessarily dependent on the other person being a believer. But it's so much easier if they are. But it's not dependent for them to be a believer. So that person could acknowledge that a wrong was done and still continue in the behavior. And therefore, while there might be an opportunity to reconcile, there is definitely not to reconcile the relationship and that you will not hold that against them and allow it to limit that. But it doesn't mean that you restore the relationship because if they continue in those behaviors, it just puts you right back into the destruction. So the relationship may remain broken even though reconciliation on that thing may be possible. Super complicated stuff because there's all sorts of, well, what about, well, what about, I know, I know. I have family members, so, ooh, okay, I wasn't going to share this, but now I am because I talked about it. Now I have to. Um, it's difficult because it's not just my story. So, so I have a family member who has a recurring challenge in his life. Now I've added him to him. Um, at one point in our, our family's history, um, it was brought to light, and he was incarcerated for that thing. During his incarceration, he wrote letters to ask for forgiveness. Talk about difficult. Forgiveness was granted because it's not about him. It's about me. And the hope of reconciliation was there. Within weeks of him serving his time, he denied ever sending a letter, denied ever needing forgiveness, and began to make it sound as if he had been wrongfully accused. Restoration of that relationship is not possible. It's not. Reconciliation, as much as it remains with me, could still be possible, but he doesn't want it, therefore there isn't. And so it becomes challenging when we have family get-togethers because there are certain members of our family that I don't want to get together with. And there are other members of my family who don't understand why we can't just all get along. <laughs> but understand that this is tough. 
I'm not saying I have this all figured out, because I don't. I don't. But it's important. Go back, go back, I'm not done yet. <laughs> but so restoration is different in that it requires repentance and change. Because you can't have restoration until you, you have walked away from that behavior. And you've committed together that you're going to work together for, to prevent the, the circumstances by which that situation occurred. Right? All parties are working together, and you cannot do it alone. You have to be together working on that for that to occur. And while it's desired, because we have that ministry of reconciliation, we're reconciling the world to God, we're sharing our faith stories, it's still not always possible. So there's three steps there. Steps one and two tend to be a little more easy to achieve. Step three, not always possible. Okay, now you can go into that. <laughs> I hate technology. Next time I do this, I'm not doing slides. I'm just not. Um, so I guess the question is, where are you? Where are you in that paradigm? Like Onesimus, we all have the need to be forgiven by our master, by God. And like Lehman, we probably have somebody in our life that we need to forgive. But knowing that, that's not always, that forgiveness, while it relies, relies on us, we can achieve, that reconciliation, restoration part isn't always our, only ours, and, and it can't always happen, that we have to acknowledge, like Paul, God's sovereignty in our forgiveness, our, our role, and that God, knowing that God is at work even in those painful relationships that may never receive the restoration that we want. So again, we work on what we can work on, and we pray that God does the work that we can't do in order that reconciliation and restoration can happen. That's a lot to unload today. <laughs> um, but Paul sent Onesimus back. He's very hard. He's my son. Take him back. And while Paul's letters often talk about the cross of Christ, he doesn't mention the cross of Christ here cross of Christ here, but he kind of doesn't have to because he's put himself on the cross of Christ in this story, in this testimony. Whatever he's done, charge it to me. And the implication is in the same way that what you have done was charged to Christ. Because of what Christ has done in you, receive him as your brother. Acknowledge the freedom he already has. And that, that's, like I said, that's only possible because Paul and Philemon and Onesimus are all believers and can all tackle that restoration component by working together. Um, yeah, that's a lot. So um, I often say that you can't get theology from a song. <laughs> And it's true, because songs are not designed to give the whole gamut of, 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 of the book, right? There's 66 of them. There's a lot of words in there. You can't, you can't capture that in a three-and-a-half-minute with, with music and a melody. But you can have songs that are rooted in the Word of God. And I don't know if you're familiar with We Are Messengers, one of my favorite bands. They're relatively new on the scene. 
new 2015, uh, whatever. Um, but they have a song called God You Are. And I love the lyric because if I could come up with a song that would be a Nassimus story, <laughs> his, his song, I think this would be it. Um, just when heaven seemed beyond my reach, you still see eternity in me. You're turning ashes into art because that's the kind of God you are. And it just, it goes on. But not only does it talk about the empty tomb and the rugged cross and those things, but it, and it talks about freedom from sin, but it goes into the amazing grace that comes from God and that he's holy and set apart. So it captures all of those elements of scripture that we know to be true, and it does it in a way that's just beautiful. So if you get a chance to listen to that song, please do, because it's one of my favorites, and I think it applies to what we're doing today, what we're talking about today. But nevertheless, forgiveness, fellowship, that's the story. That's the, that's the heartbeat of God. That's the heartbeat of Philemon. It's, it's woven through the book of Colossians. We're, we're going to go into Colossians 3 and you know, as dearly beloved children, clothe yourself. With, it's the roommate song, if you've been familiar with that, with compassion, kindness, humility, all of those things. I, and I can't even go much further or I'm going to sing it. You don't want to hear that. So um, we're going to hear some more. These themes are going to reoccur. So as we're going through Colossians 3 and 4 with Pastor, think about Philemon. Think about Onesimus. Think about forgiveness. Think about reconciliation. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, you are so faithful even when we're faithless because you can't deny yourself. So thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for seeing eternity in us even when we feel like a hot mess. Thank you for the cross that allows us to enter into your presence with confidence as we read in Hebrews. Lord, help us to bring as many people with us as we can before you return. And we pray, Lord, that you would return soon. Help us to live up to your word that asks us not only to forgive because we've been forgiven, but to be that minister, that ambassador for you to reconcile the world to yourself. Amen. Amen.